Do you, Chris, take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? Do you promise to barrage her with obscure facts concerning comics, movies, TV shows, and toys? I do. And Cindy, do you take this man-child to be your lawfully wedded husband? Do you promise to humor him by engaging him in his obsessive ramblings, for better or worse, in pre-crisis or in post? Sure, why not? Then by the power invested in me by the High Father of the Fourth World, I now pronounce you Supermates. You may podcast with the bride. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast. I'm Chris. I'm Cindy. And today we have a very special guest with us. It is Gene Hendricks, Gene the Machine, the mastermind behind the Hammer Strikes blog and the host or co-host of these following Find Two True Freaks Productions, the Hammer Podcast, which is his general geeky stuff show that includes the Legends of the Superheroes, which pertains to this episode, the Quantum Cast, focusing on Marvel's Quasar series, and Anime Freaks, which I think focuses on German expressionist films, but I'm not really sure what that's about. Uh, but <laughs> no, it's about anime. Uh, so welcome, Gene. Well, thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, we've been we've been talking back and forth for a while. I've written into Gene's shows, and uh, he's read my emails, and uh, vice versa, and, and as we have. And we've been talking back and forth about um, trying to get together. And uh, a subject came up that we both thought uh, kind of worked with his Legends of the Superheroes series on the, the Hammer podcast and our show. And that is the Wonder Woman TV pilot movie from 1974 that starred Kathy Lee Crosby. Now, this is not your Wonder Woman that most people know. <laughs> most people think of Linda Carter. <laughs> yeah, it's not even close to the Wonder Woman most people know. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, this uh, predates that by, what, about a year? I think the... The uh, Wonder Woman, the, the what was it called? The actual title of the Linda Carter one, because of this one, was called the new the, original Wonder Woman, right? The the new adventures of Wonder Woman or something like that. Right. And I, I, I think eventually that got dropped to just Wonder Woman in like the second or third season. Right, right. So they had to, they had to differentiate because this thing existed <laughs> and aired. Um, but uh, it actually aired, its original air date was March the 12th. 1974. If you want to, we'll go I'm ahead. I'm just glad it came on before I was born. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, since you're since you're there, I'll I'll go ahead and uh, fess up to. I actually uh, my my personal story with this. I had no idea this existed, and sometime in the 80s, uh, there was a channel we picked up, Channel 19, out of Cincinnati that aired. It was our non-affiliated uh, TV station. Uh, and uh, it would air, you know, just whatever, mostly reruns and old movies. I came home one Saturday after playing with my friends and looked in the TV Guide. Remember TV Guide, everybody? TV Guide. <laughs> and uh, looked it up and said, uh, Wonder Woman. And it said, Kathy Lee Crosby. And I'm like, Who the crap is that? No, I said, Isn't that the woman off That's Incredible? You know, I was just like, What? And so I turn it on and I'm just flabbergasted. You know, here's. Kathy Lee Crosby in a suit that slightly resembles Wonder Woman's, maybe, if you squint and are blind, 
and <laughs> and a donkey and uh, Ricardo Montalban. And uh, <laughs> that and, sounds like the opening to a joke. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Kathy Lee Crosby, uh, Burrow, and Ricardo Montalban uh, walk into a bar. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so, had you ever seen this before, Gene? No, this was my first time watching it. I knew I'm about sorry. it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I brought it on myself. This is the whole point of my Legends of Superheroes, to expose myself to these things. You know, brain damage notwithstanding. Uh, you give and you give. <laughs> <laughs> but it it's one of those things I knew it was out there, but I grew up with the Linda Carter stuff. So I, I never sought it out right. until we did this. And just so happens I had Amazon reward point. So I got it for free. Oh, there you go. We didn't get it for free. <laughs> we had to pay. Ooh, ooh I'm sorry. Cindy uh-huh. collects Wonder Woman stuff, but I'm not really sure you can, you can categorize this as Wonder Woman stuff. <laughs> yes. That's something that starts with an ass. <laughs> <laughs> We're kind of giving away our take on this a little early, but, uh, (laughs) so did you ever see this before Cindy before this? No, I didn't think you had. Okay. No. Okay. I've made, you wouldn't have agreed to the episode. Right now, (sighs) now before we get into, I don't think I put it in the notes and I won't forget if you guys want this, you can get it on Amazon or, uh, it's, it's put out by the Warner archives, which, uh, which I believe it's, it's manufactured on demand. Um, and you can get it through the Warner archives website. They have it as well. That's the actual home. However, if you have Amazon Prime, you can get it for thirteen seventy something. It's right under fourteen dollars yeah. from Amazon Prime, or you can get it from Warner Brothers Store, and they charge you shipping. And you know you can only right. get it if it's on sale. So the better deal, honestly, is if you get it from Amazon Prime. And you, you know, if you spend thirteen seventy four, you've spent thirteen dollars and seventy cents too much for it. But. Uh, <laughs> Now, now, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's it's not. We're 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 being going a little overboard, maybe with it. But, uh, but oh wait, wait, oh wait, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> so well, let's we'll get, we'll get into it here. Um, it was written and developed for TV by John D. F. Black. Who, God have mercy on his soul. Who uh, Star Trek fans will recognize that name, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Directed by a fellow named Vincent McEvity. I've, uh, Evity, how do you pronounce it? Evity, Evity, looks like Vincent McEvity. That's just a guess. Uh, like we said, Kathy Lee Crosby was Wonder Woman and Diana Prince. Although there's not much of a designation between those two, if any. Uh, a fella named Kaz Garris, uh, don't know how to pronounce that either. Was Steve Trevor? So there's another actual comic book character. Andrew Prime played a lovely character named George Calvin that we'll discuss. Ricardo Montalban. Uh, who I think you guys may know him. He was in some science fiction movie that came out in 1982 that, you know, it's, it, I think some people remember it. I don't, you know, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> he was a guy named Abner Smith. Charlie, Charlene Holt played Hippolyta or Hippolyte, however you want to pronounce it. They never say her name, so we don't really know. And Anita Ford played Angela, a another Amazon, for lack of a better term, because they never really call him that in this movie. So we will get into the synopsis that I wrote thinking Cindy would read it, uh, but uh, Cindy's got a little bit of a sore throat, so uh, I'm going to read it. And as I told Gene before we started to record, I wouldn't have made it so long if I knew I was going to have to read it. (laughs) So, And the story goes, 
Across the globe, men disguised as military police steal a series of books hidden in concealed compartments. They deliver the books to their contact, George Calvin, who promptly has them killed. After some funky 70 wah-wah music, we flash back to a remote island and witness Diana saying her goodbyes to her sisters as she heads off to man's world as Wonder Woman. Diana is endowed with, quote, extraordinary wisdom, love, and strength, end quote, by her mother, the Queen. One particular sister, Angela, is openly envious of Diana's journey. In the present, Diana works as a secretary for Steve Trevor at an unnamed U.S. security agency. She listens in as Trevor briefs his men on the stolen books, which contain top-secret information on the organization's top 39 agents, threatening their lives and national security. The thief demands $15 million for the return of the books, with three potential suspects to investigate, the men head out. But not before one of them, Bob, takes time to hit on Diana. Steve and Diana confer, with her boss being fully aware of her not-so-secret identity. She opts to go to France and look into Abner Smith, mysterious and unphotographed intelligence contractor. In France, Diana is recognized as Wonder Woman by one of Smith's goons. Eschewing unnecessary violence, Smith does not want her eliminated, much to the consternation of his right-hand man, George. After one of his men fails to capture her, George arranges to meet with Diana for dinner. Their cat-and-mouse game leaves George very frustrated, and he orders a hit on Diana. While reporting in to Steve in a phone booth, she is nearly run down by one of Smith's cars. She manages to put a tracer on the car and follows it to a mansion. After receiving a phone call from the elusive Mr. Smith, Diana finds herself trapped by an electrified gate she makes quick work of it. Back at the hotel, George is up to his old tricks and attempts to stuff Diana into a trunk. She roughs up him and his matching goons, and literally they did match, and, and finding a clue on his unconscious body, heads for New York. Meanwhile, Steve receives a large crate from Smith and is surprised, as are we, to find a burrow inside. Back in New York, George has a poisonous snake sent to Diana's room, which manages to wrap itself around her leg. The crafty Wonder Woman calls room service to bring a saucer of milk up, which distracts the snake and allows her to get free. No, really. Diana and George meet for lunch, where he offers her $5 million to join Smith's team. Of course she refuses and leaves George a present, the snake that he had meant for her. Reporting into Steve, she learns the method of payment for the $15 million. The burrow, wearing saddlebags stuffed with cash, is to be dropped off in a ghost town in Nevada. Diana then meets her fellow sister, Dia, who has come to Man's World to tell her another of their kind, Angela, has gone rogue and is not to be trusted. Of course, Angela has hooked up with Abner Smith, who then sends her to assist George. Steve and his men outfit the burrow with tracking devices, tear gas in the saddlebags, and even spray him with a luminescent glow-in-the-dark liquid so he'll be visible by night from the air. In Alba, Nevada, Steve and Bob arrive with the burrow and let him loose. 42 minutes into the 73-minute runtime, Diana finally dons her Wonder Woman uniform, such as it is, and takes out those same twin goons again. She follows the burrow into one of the ghost town buildings where it enters a special chamber. Diana watches from behind glass as the burrow is treated with a series of lights that deactivate the tracking devices and is washed down with a shower to eliminate the luminescent spray. 
In a flash of light, the burrow disappears, and when Diana enters the now-empty chamber, she finds herself trapped. A wall of multicolored mud, or cement, begins to build behind her. With no other way out, Diana braces herself against the moving wall and kicks her way out of the glass. Diana finds the burrow and rides him to his meeting with George, who is waiting with Angela. The two former sisters fight with spears while George takes off with the burrow. Diana wins, of course, and because she had saved her life years before, Angela tells her where George is headed with the burrow. Diana arrives at Smith's headquarters built into the canyon walls of the Grand Canyon itself and is promptly captured by George. The overly cordial Mr. Smith shows his captive around once again despite George's protest. Diana places an explosive bracelet on his escape helicopter but is stopped before she can escape with the books and the money. Honoring his word, Smith leaves Diana with the books while he takes off with the saddlebags. Before he joins him, George dispatches his twin workforce, just like before. Trapped behind yet another glass wall, Diana uses a retractable rope from her belt and her remaining bracelet to scale the wall and pursue Smith. Following Smith to an underground stream and an escape raft, George attempts to double-cross him and take the money. But the crafty Smith is aware of the tear gas bombs in the saddlebag and activates them in George's face. The greedy villain falls into the river where he apparently drowns. Smith rows away, but Diana hops onto a motorcycle that is inexplicably in his office and follows him. The smooth Mr. Smith seems none too upset when Diana surfaces below him and captures him. As the authorities cart him away, he declares his love for Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman, I love you. There you go. <laughs> So what did we think? <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, if if you remove the references to the name Wonder Woman mm -hmm. and the race of Amazons that are not called Amazons, mm -hmm. this would be a serviceable 70s spy flick. Right. Well, it wouldn't. The acting is shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't say good. I said serviceable. Oh. Have you seen some 70s spy flicks? Point taken. Point taken. So that's about as close to Wonder Woman as it gets is the name. Right. Right. And, and you know, in fact, one of the things that I'm, I'm with you totally, the, you know, the fact that they, why did they even pay for the licensing fee to call this Wonder Woman? Um, I mean, I know Wonder Woman in a few years before this had been the Diana Prince Wonder Woman, no powers, kind of Emma Peel, secret agent type character that didn't wear a normal costume and, you know, that type of thing. Very mod and, and, and very much in the vein of uh, the, the, the James Bond and things like that. But, you know, if you were going to pay for, you know, it's like, okay, I want to do a Superman movie, but I don't want to have any powers. Uh, I want everybody to know that Clark Kent and Superman are the same guy. <laughs> uh, you know, we can show that it comes from Krypton, but it doesn't really have anything to do with the fact that he's, you know, got he has no superpowers. So, you know, so it's kind of like that same thing. Why did they, you know, if, if, and if Warner Brothers was, or DC was trying to promote their character, then why did they let such a production, you know, go into production? Because it's not really promoting their product. So... At what point did they say, you can't do that with our character? Or what, what point did the producers say, 
why are we paying for this? We're not, <laughs> we're not using the intellectual property we've, we've purchased the rights for, you know? Really. Yeah. Well, well, the thing is that the Diana Prince era of Wonder Woman, it, that came to an end in 73. Right. So I'm almost wondering if this was in production while that was still happening in the comics. Right, right. And it was just so far along that when the comics changed that they couldn't switch it or right. they'd you know, completely go bankrupt. Right. Well, that, that could be. I mean, it could be, or at least in the development stage, if not actually being film stage, you know, it's, that's quite possible. And, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if one reason Wonder Woman didn't switch back to her old ways in 73 was because the Super Friends came on. Um, you know, so here's right. traditional Wonder Woman seen every Saturday morning on ABC, oddly enough, which this aired on ABC, I believe. So, uh, you know, there's two very different versions of Wonder Woman were on the, whatever, what were on that week on the same network, which is, 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 uh, fun to think about. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's just kind of a, it's, it's just one of those things. It's like, why does this exist the way it does? Right. <laughs> but, uh. But we'll get uh, we'll get into some actual just general breakdown of things as we go along. Right off the bat, we meet uh, George Calvin, uh, who, as we said, was played by Andrew Prine, who uh, uh, you know he was a character actor. We'll, we'll get into the cast a little bit later. He is constantly chewing gum. Uh, I don't know if this is uh, in the script or this is him. Maybe he was quitting smoking. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, or you know, is it a is it a you know a thing like you know I know there's some actors like um, Donald Pleasance, uh, you know from the famous for the Halloween series, uh, was known to always be doing something like like eating or or something to try to get to uh, make sure that everyone's attention was on him in a scene, and like William Shatner is is known to like sometimes kind of back into a room especially during his Star Trek days, so when he turns around, you're automatically looking at him. You know, that's, that's, I don't know if it was a trick like that or it was in the script, but it's kind of funny because he has, the, his hench people, uh, I instantly call them the double mint twins because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a man and a woman. And, and But like our daughter said, our daughter's seven, and she was just like, is that two guys or what? What? Is that two girls? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. She was very confused. It was the 70s, you know. Um, yeah. yeah. We actually, and, and Rob Kelly, if you're listening to this, yes, we did. The kids watched this movie with us. We did not make them, okay? <laughs> they did it of their own free will. This However, is not a Howard the Duck incident. That's right, exactly. <laughs> However, our daughter did go to sleep, and she went to sleep earlier, and I think it was just because she was bored to tears with the movie. She fell asleep in Chris's arms. Right, yeah. So... I think that was that was part of it, and 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 when we kept talking, we're going to watch a Wonder Woman movie. She's like, "Oh, can I watch them?" We're like, "Yeah, honey, but don't you know? Don't get too excited because it's not it's not the Wonder Woman you're used to because she's seen the Linda Carter, you know, stuff." I've raised that baby right, right, and, and so we showed her the DVD case. You know, there's Cassie Lee Crosby with her hands on her hips, and she just she literally stuck her tongue out and went, "Blah." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I don't remember if my daughter was even interested in this because she loves. The Linda Carter Wonder Woman. Well, it's, of course. We, we watch it every week right. that it comes on. And I we watched this. I actually brought it with us on vacation. And it was one of those nights that it was, it was raining. We couldn't do anything. So we sat and we watched this. And she was off in the bedroom. 
Mm. So I don't even think that we told her we were going to watch it. It was. I think See, she came out nicer. at one point. <laughs> I think she came out at one point, looked at the TV, and said, "I'm going to go watch Teen Titans." <laughs> Smart girl. Good call. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. <laughs> When we, of course, we get the opening credits, and which are very, the music is very, I mean, you know, you expect funky 70s music, but. This was nails on a chalkboard music. Yeah, it was. This wasn't, you know, even, you know, you can say what you want about the uh, Spider-Man TV show and and, uh, the Captain America movies, but they actually did have some pretty good theme music. They're very of their time, but they are catchy. They do kind of, they represent that character. You know, I think they fit the character pretty well. Uh, this doesn't represent Wonder Woman to me in the least. Yeah. <laughs> it just does not. I mean, it just makes you just want to, you know, get down on your knees and, and thank Charles Fox for, you know, writing the immortal, catchy Wonder Woman theme song for Linda Carter. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, he, you, he probably heard this and said, well, I can't do any worse. Right. It's like, I can put a line in about in your satin tights and it'll sound better than this. Please. <laughs> 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 Uh, speaking of her outfit, uh, when we see the island, never called Paradise Island, I don't believe, uh, because I technically ro- watched this twice because I watched it again to do the notes, basically, uh, on the computer. <laughs> so um, lots of bracelet clanking as each quote-unquote Amazon you know, embraced arms with Diana. That's the warrior class. Right. Is that the warrior class? Uh-huh. Yeah, gotcha. So, but there's a lot of clank, 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 which is, I mean, it's kind of neat that they have a sound effect, but it's kind of, you know, it's like. But also that's what would happen if you, if both of you had on yeah. a wrist bracelet like that. I mean, right. That's what would happen. They also needed the, the sound effect there because you couldn't see what the hell was going on. There was a little too much Vaseline on the lens. (laughs) Somebody, John D.F. Black, brought some of that Vaseline from the Star Trek set that they used (laughs) to smear on the camera when Grace Lee Whitney was on. (laughs) 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 You know, Yeoman Ran, Yeoman Ran or Uhura in the early days, you know, it's like, oh, any woman that's, when Mud's Women was on, you know, (laughs) smeared all that Vaseline on the camera. Yeah, this it looked like they took the camera and dipped it in a tub of Vaseline and just filmed <laughs> that way. They didn't smear it. They dipped the whole thing. There, there's one part where I noticed when, when Hippolyta, which they never call her that, but in the on IMDb she's called Hippolyta or Hippolyte. Mm-hmm. When she's talking to her daughter Diana, the, the way they have her framed, her, her chin is above the Vaseline-y smear effect. effect. But... Kathy Lee Crosby's lower jaw is like missing almost. <laughs> it's like her face just like fades into the background in those scenes. I'm like, somebody really needed to like lift the camera up or I don't know, something, uh, you know, back up a little bit. So Diana's mission, you know, seems a bit vague. I mean, you know, in the, we're going to keep comparing this to the Linda Carter version, but you know, in Linda Carter version, she's sent to man's world to during world war two. And then, you know, there's other iterations where it's, it's always a you know mission of peace and everything, but it's a little vague. And and then when she comes to man's world, she comes to apparently be a secretary <laughs> for Steve Trevor. Yeah, uh, wasn't one of the things in her mission was to show show how uh, women are underrated or something like that? Right. So, and she becomes a secretary. Exactly, and it's like. You know, mm. to, to prove that women are strong, but, but never lose your sensitivity and, 
and you know, now go take some notes for this guy. You know, <laughs> give him some coffee. You know, <sighs> which is which is even crazier because, as we've said in the synopsis, Steve knows who she is. I mean, they have this coy back and forth when she takes the assignment to go after the the missing books that she's going to her dentist. And which dentist are you going to go see? Well, I'm going to go see the one in France because that's the Abner Smith character. But they have this little back and forth thing. But it's like, okay, if Steve knows and then later the villains know that she's Wonder Woman, then why don't the other guys in the office just know she's Wonder Woman? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. If the villains know... I mean, even the goon knows. I mean, I understand if Abner Smith knows, because, you know, he's supposed to be a really, you know, the big bad of it and everything. But why do the goons know that she's Wonder Woman? And, you know, they're like, Wonder Woman's here? And I'm like, what? She's not wearing the suit, you know, which I know, you know, she doesn't have glasses on or her hair. I guess she does have her hair up when she's in the office. But, uh, you know, but yeah, so that, that part just totally, I just didn't get, I didn't really get the setup. Um, you know, that you've got Bob, the, uh, the guy who... Well, that was a totally unnecessary part, him hitting on her. Right. The Bob character. I think it was just because they needed him in the story later to, to be a guy that Steve talked to. And, uh, you know, he looks more like a car salesman than a secret agent. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, yeah. really, he really does. But then again, we're talking about an agency who has all of their top agents call in on the same day, <laughs> yeah. 10 minutes apart, and then they can't get in touch with them for 72 hours. That's true, yeah. Can we stagger it out a little bit? Right. It's like, well, you know, it's like, I, it, Steve was like, you know, I just can't be bothered by all these phone calls. Let them call in. I've got an hour for them to call in. <laughs> I've got four hours blocked out for all the guys to call in, you know, every 72 hours. I don't have time for all this stuff. I've got to, you know, call Diana D and flirt with her and talk about her dentist, you know. The well, and here's the thing. They get 10 minutes to talk. I don't care if they're on a big case and they got a bunch of stuff to tell me. They've got 10 minutes. At 9 minutes and 59 seconds, buddy, you're done. That's right. <laughs> That's right. The phone just automatically cuts off. <laughs> uh, I, you know, you get, I, I kind of got the impression that Steve brought his men in just because he didn't want to hurt their feelings. But, he, you know, it's Di- he knows Diana's listening in on it. So it's like, okay, I'm going to – which, again, it's like, why didn't Diana just come in with them? And Right. I mean, and even if he wanted to protect her secret identity, which wasn't secret to anybody except the people that she worked with, why not have her come in to take notes and right. then she'd be in the room? Right. It was just it was just – that whole setup was just very – just not well thought out and just very strange. You know, and, and I get, we've kind of already brought this up, but I get the, the you know, you, I get that Abner Smith is supposed to be this very intelligent person. He's very, he, he knows everything. And he was so intelligent. Why was he named Abner Smith when he was, act, you know, obviously of foreign nationality and, you know, Abner Smith? <laughs> He, he should have been named Mr. Rourke, really. Exactly. He's wearing the white suit and everything. I, oh, oh, my gosh. I said the same thing. I'm like, oh, my God, it's the Fantasy Island guy. It's Colin. <laughs> that's what Andrew, that did that with Andrew and our son when he was watching it. And he's like, hey. And I said, God. And then he said, yeah. Or the dad, uh, the grandfather off the Spy Kids movies. <laughs> I'm like, well, you're not wrong. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but here's now. If he was Mr. Rourke. Tattoo would have a hard time going, see plane, boss, see plane, because you can't see it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Well, you see, that's why Tattoo quit in a huff and he had to hire George. There you go. There you go. (laughs) I can't say my line. (laughs) 
Okay, y'all sound more like George Lopez. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> George Lopez. <laughs> George Lopez is a new tattoo. Uh. <laughs> well, they're they're rebooting everything. Might as well do Fantasy Island again. Right? Did, did they do one? With, was that when my nuts or was there a Fantasy Island series a few years back with Malcolm McDowell? You're right. You are not nuts. That, okay. is, that did happen. Okay, I think it lasted like. Six it was like episodes. half a season, yeah. yeah. All people who try to kill Captain Kirk and one that succeeded. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and his was Next up, limit. Christopher Plummer is Mr. Rourke. <laughs> At least Colin tried to kill that. him with a ship instead of a ribbon. Right. <laughs> 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 We're getting off topic. I still remember. I used to get comic buyers guide, and when Nick, Star Trek Generations come out, Peter David in his column was like, Oh, no, the ribbon. The ribbon's coming. <laughs> and I, still, I think that's what you were talking about, wasn't uh-huh. it? Yeah, we still, we still joke the about it. The Nexus ribbon. It's the ribbon. Uh, how do we get on that? I don't know. <laughs> now, ex- explain this to me. Okay. You have someone who has such a distinctive voice. Yes. Ricardo Montalban's voice is recognizable by just about anybody. Right. Exactly. Why right. even try and hide his face? I have exactly. no idea. I mean, what would have been a lot better is if you had Ricardo Montalban doing the voice and it was a completely different actor. Right. Yes. You show yes. his face, is like, holy crap, who's that? Right. Right. It's, you know, it, it, that or had him always speak over the phone with a muffled voice, you know, like a modulated voice. And right. then reveal him to be Ricardo Montalban. You'd be like, wow. Of course, they kind of gave it away at the beginning when it said, special guest star, Ricardo Montalban. Yeah, well. uh, but, you know, it's kind of like um, the uh, there's a Hammer Dracula movie. Uh, is it? Uh, I think it's the Satanic Rites of Dracula. It's one of the two that's set in the 70s. And uh, Van Helsing believes Dracula's behind all this stuff. But every time he's on the phone, he sounds almost more like a Bela Lugosi type. Mm. And then when you get to the end of the movie, it really is Christopher Lee as Dracula, but he was using a fake voice. You know, and when he confronts Van Helsing, he starts using his regular, you know, his usual, usual Christopher Lee voice, you know, and uh, it, it actually kind of works. You're like, well, maybe this guy isn't Dracula, you know. It's like, maybe he's... I mean, you knew Dracula had to come in at some point, but they they try a little harder, at least. <laughs> I never understand. Why waste Ricardo Montalban with his face hidden through the movie when you're not fooling anybody. Right. It's like, he's the biggest star in this thing. And I know this was before Fantasy Island, but he was obviously a, a character actor that was well-known at this point. You know, I mean, he's the only name that's in this thing, you know, unless you follow tennis with Kathy Lee Crosby. Why, why hide it? I just didn't... It's another one of those things that's like, why did they work so hard to... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> to, to 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 make this. I mean, they really. I mean, the shots are well set up with his face just hidden a certain way, and 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 you can even tell. I mean, the way he holds his hands and the way it's his mouth that it's it's him. It's actually Ricardo Montalban on the set. It's not some body double, but it's they just don't show his face. It's just weird. The laugh out loud line in this movie when George takes her to dinner and says. Let me make love to you. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm like, what? Did he my just wife, actually say that? Yeah, my, my wife was sort of watching this with me. She was reading a book at the time. And to the one, one show you how well she was paying attention, at one point she looked up and said, oh, when did she put her costume on? 
yeah. But, but she heard that line. She just looked at me like, you're joking, right? <laughs> exactly. Now, now, I get they were trying to set George up as the antithesis of his employer. He was like the non-smooth, non... I mean, he was reckless and rough and... And you know they, you know Abner Smith is actually a very honorable thief. You know he's got a very strict code of ethics to the point where he, you know, he, he wants to make sure that the burrow at the end of the movie goes to a, a family with kids. But you know so they were trying to set him up as the opposite. But I mean that, and it's nothing against the actor. There's no actor that could have delivered that line and made it sound good. I mean it was just horrible. Yeah, but the thing is, the whole delivery of it, instead of let me make. Yeah. It's like, let me make love to you. <laughs> it's like he read off a cue card. Oh, uh, I mean, you know, come on. If he's getting laid, I mean, I'm sorry. I don't think he's going to with lines like that. No. Uh, yeah, and then, like, you know, her, she's like, you know, at some point he said something about uh, other men. He's like, I don't care about them. Just like that. I, I like you. I mean, actually, it's like, you're you're fast. I like you. I mean, just like, it's like dumb and dumb. I like you a lot. That's you know? <laughs> like, really? Uh, <laughs> I like you, Mary. Uh, the, from the, the, the lows of that, probably one of the best sequences in the entire movie is the phone booth sequence when the car, like, comes through the phone booth. And, you know, she flips up on the awning that's above that, it. Now, that was a cool little move. That was actually pretty mm-hmm. well done. I thought that yes, was... Yes, it was. I thought that was nice, you know. And, and I got to say, you know, there's no real super obvious... I mean, there's a couple times where you're like, well, that's probably a stunt woman. In this era, there's so many TV shows, TV movies, movies where the stunt double is just so... Glaringly obvious. Yes. And there's nothing that jumps out at you too much... In this movie, they either edit it together well, or Kathy Lee Crosby actually did do quite a bit of her stunt work, or at least they shot it in a way that they quickly showed her, and you didn't catch the stunt person. And and I appreciate that, you know. That's that because that there's nothing worse. I mean, speaking of con in Ricardo yeah. Montalban, unfortunately, one of the most famous episodes of Star Trek has probably the worst fight scene because it's so obvious that they're two stunt people that look nothing like him and William Shatner fighting in the engineering room. I mean, it's just, what were they? I know Star Trek was broadcast in, you know, in the 60s and everybody's TVs were crap and, you know, they were 13-inch high screens, but my gosh, I mean, even back then, even as a kid when that episode would come on, I'd be like, that's not them. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I appreciate him doing a little better job here. One of her bracelets has a tracking device in it, and she puts it on top of the car, and apparently, although it looks like it just has a watch, she has a receiver on the other end, and she tracks it, the car to a mansion. Uh, plot hole. Plot hole, okay. That what, that bracelet better be magnetic, or how the crap is it staying on the car? Well, it's I guess it is. Well, yeah. it better be. Yeah, but <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming it is. Because her bracelets do all sorts of stuff in this, but mm-hmm. uh, everything but deflect bullets, oddly. <laughs> <laughs> well, no one ever actually really shoots at her. Yeah, is right. the problem. They they shoot at the ground near her. Yeah, yeah. But that's it. Right. That's right. It's like, and again, Cindy's like, at some point, you were like, just shoot her. <laughs> yeah, just shoot her. Just shoot her. <laughs> all the things that go on. I mean, 
They try and put her in a box. They try and get a snake to bite her. They try, I mean, just shoot the bitch and get in the <laughs> There's, there's your tagline for the episode. Just shoot the bitch. <laughs> yeah, you got her laughing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, and, and, and we'll get into it as we go through this, but how many different times could she just have, like, caught George and and had people apprehend him and take him to the authorities and, and make him talk and, you know, and end this quick? You know, I know we've got 73 minutes to fill in, but it's like, let's meet for lunch. I tried to kill you earlier, but... Let's meet for lunch. I mean, you know, it's... This is, at best, a 23-minute TV episode. May, yeah, it's, yeah. well, maybe the 44 minutes, if you count, you know, take out all the commercials, you know, like a regular TV show, maybe. Well, 23 minutes is a half-hour show, is what I'm saying. Right, right, yeah. But, uh, yeah, there's just there's just so many things. I mean, so many things like... And I know they try to... The James Bond movies have, you know, moments like that where, you know... Bond's hanging out at Goldfinger's, uh, you know, uh, farm and and things like that, and he's you know going into the barn with Pussy Galore and things. But I mean, this this just seems like you know it's like I just sent a snake to your room, but let's go meet for lunch. You know, it's <laughs> <laughs> it's just really odd. Well, for George, that's foreplay. <laughs> well, he's got to have something, man. His, <laughs> his lines just ain't doing it. He is not smooth. The snake idea, which we brought up a minute ago, is, is kind of cool, but the way she gets out of it, I mean, I guess it's it's kind of clever, but it's just so boring. I mean, it's just, it's like, you know, all this drama, there's a snake in her room, and she calls, she sits there with her legs crossed. Of course, they, you know, they have to show her legs, you know, and she calls room service, and the guy brings a saucer of milk up and, and gets very bug-eyed when he notices uh a snake in the room, but uh, apparently he walks over, the snake crawls over and slithers over and and uh, just starts drinking the milk while she gets the guy a tip. But, yeah. but, here, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. When she gives the snake to George yeah. later at the restaurant, the snake is dead in the box. Is it dead? It doesn't move. Oh, I didn't it's really all notice. coiled up. Mm, I thought it might just be sitting, laying there. I didn't know. But here's the thing. If she's all peace and love, why'd she kill the snake? It's just doing what it was born to do. I wasn't sure she... I didn't get that she killed it. I did. It mm. wasn't moving. It was just laying there. Mm, who knows? It, 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 or it just might have <laughs> been a bad prop. It, it just drank warm milk. What do you expect? That's right. Oh, yeah, yeah. It read the script and went to sleep. <laughs> oh. no, it, it watched the fight scene later in the movie and went to sleep. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Uh, so again, George and, and Abner Smith are at the hotel restaurant out in the open. Diana, why didn't she call the agency in and say, you know, be ready to pounce on these guys? Cause I mean, she knew she was meeting him for lunch. You know, I mean, Abner Smith being there was kind of silly, but of course he disappeared when the serving tray went by mysteriously. Ooh. I think maybe he was underneath the serving tray. <laughs> <laughs> I learned this trick from my friend Tattoo. I to get underneath the, <laughs> the lid. Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm getting punchy. You're cute. <laughs> <laughs> so Dia from the uh, the island comes all the way from there to warn Diana about Angela, but she doesn't. So stay. apparently they have an air force fleet because you know it's invisible. It's yeah. invisible. Invisible airlines. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> Fly. Now leaving, now departing, <laughs> flights to to New York from Paradise Island. Um, 
So she comes all the way just to warn about Angela, but she doesn't stay to help her. No. It's just like, okay, you know, we got a rogue sister out there, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I just wanted to tell you that. Bye. <laughs> oh, yeah. She was just setting her up so that she'd be there in the story. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's that just seems way too much like padding to uh-huh. me. Having the evil Amazon come in in the pilot, that's a that's a little bit much, don't you think? Right, and it's like, I know they said, I'd do anything to go there at the beginning. You know, they show her say that, but you don't see her, you don't you don't go back to the island, and then all of a sudden, she's just there. It's like... Yeah. There's and, no backstory for her at all. No, it's just no. the, the, the one little thing, and it's like, oh, all of a sudden, she's evil and greedy. Right. It's, it's like, I want things in man's world. She's even sitting there, you know, when she's talking to Smith... Playing with our bangles, you know, or bracelets. Oh, in her she's ring. getting her jollies as she's playing with those bangles. Let me tell you. <laughs> I mean, she's like two seconds away from her own face. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh uh, yeah. Well, she, she might not be wrong. Uh, I mean, come on, the noises she's making and everything else. Man. Well, this would come in handy for her because uh, you know it's in the notes later. But I'm going to say it because Anita Ford apparently was one of the Beauties on the Price is Right later. So she was one of Barker's beauties. I don't know if she was one of them that filed a lawsuit against him later, but she was one of them that, you know, so she was used, she had to get used to, you know, caressing cars and, 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 and fine jewelry and, you know, lounging around them and smiling while, you know, people gawked at them so they could figure out how much is that worth, you know? So, <laughs> I'm, you know. so maybe it came, it, this came in handy for her later. Uh, but how did Abner Smith even know about the island? I mean, how did he know to contact? Did they do they have a pen pal program? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I am looking to recruit a sister to come. You know, it's like, yeah, it was, well, you know, it's it's Craigslist. Yeah, Craigslist. <laughs> Maybe so. Uh, so we finally get the version their version of the Wonder Woman outfit. You know, like I said, it was like 40 some 42 minutes into a 73 minute movie. Uh, and in fact, she like, when she comes out in the ghost town, she's like, it's like, she stops dramatically. So the camera can like, you know, it's like, I don't even know why she did that. It's like, da-da! You know, <laughs> <laughs> almost you much wanted to hear her say, da-da-da-da! you know, it, it consists of a red long jacket with large flare collar. Think Nightwing, 70s Nightwing. Uh, or Disco Nightwing, blue star spangled sleeves, and a gold eagle over her left breast. She has on blue tights and darker blue boots, and her gold bracelets and belt, you know, finish the ensemble. Uh, it's, the ensemble. The ensemble. It's not, it's not a bad costume uniform, but it's barely Wonder Woman. Like, uh, she could be the female version of Evil Knievel, for, you know, for all <laughs> Especially later when she gets on the motorcycle. Uh, you know, like we said, she did not have a traditional, didn't wear a traditional costume in the comics leading up to this. That might have had something to do with it. And if that's the case, if they were going from the uh, the mod era Wonder Woman, then this is actually a lot more traditional than what she normally wore. But it's still, you know, you ain't going to look at that and go, oh, Wonder Woman. You're going to be like, oh, she's got a flag outfit on. You know, that's that's kind of it. What did you guys think of the costume, the outfit? I think it would have been more appropriate if they called the this Miss America or Lady Liberty or something like that, not Wonder Woman. Right, yeah. 
Yeah, she looks like somebody that's like, you know, a reject from Femforce, kind of, or something. <laughs> she, she, she definitely does, or, you know, some, you know, some obscure Golden Age Marvel character that popped up in the Invaders, or, you know, something like that. Yeah, uh, it, it, it strikes of trying too hard. I mean, you either go with the outfit she wore in the comics when she was playing a spy, or you go with the normal Wonder Woman costume. Why make up this third not even amalgam thing is just completely out of left field. Doesn't make right. sense. Right. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's a it's uh, it's a little strange. Uh, just as as amigo guy, I gotta I drop this in. Uh, some people have pointed out. I go to hang out at amigomuseum.com quite a bit, and some people on there have pointed out that the uh, uh, the invisible woman from the Migo line bears a strong resemblance to Kathy Lee Crosby. She's got that kind of strong jawline. And people have used that figure to make customs of this, Mego customs of this outfit. But, you know, if you really, so if you really, really have to have a Mego of this, you might want to try to get an invisible woman head and find yourself a costume. But I don't really know why you want to do that. So she follows the burrow into this room where all this stuff happens to him to debug him, basically. And then she enters the room, and there's multicolored concrete and mud that starts coming down the wall. Why? <laughs> I'm Why? sorry. I, I, I went into Peter Sellers mode when I saw this. Ah, the old rainbow oatmeal ploy, eh? <laughs> I mean, you know, what? 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 Rainbow oatmeal. <laughs> That's about as much sense as the whole scene made. It's like, I'm, we're going to attack you with this gunk. And set it up so that you can just easily kick your way out of the door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess they thought she would just stand there and let it just smother her to death. Yeah, yeah envelop yeah. her. But it's, you know, I wasn't sure. Is it is the wall moving out or is it just supposed to show us that it's it's just growing because so much is coming in? I, 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 I never could quite. I think it was pouring in and the wall was moving forward at the same, same time. Same time, okay. Because yeah. she puts her back against it to kick it out. Yeah, right, right. Because so. if it was doing the other, I think it would just like, it would kind of, it would be sloped in the floor as it. Right. It, well, if physics mattered in this movie. Uh, but, but yeah, then she, you know, she when she kicks out, it's kind of, it's it's not a bad you know, way to get out of something, but it, just the whole, yeah, the rainbow oatmeal, it's great. <laughs> oh, oh, you bastards are killing me with strawberries and cream. It's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, so Diana rides the, she tracks the uh, burrow, even though uh, Abner manages to send, like, what is it, three more identical burrows off in different directions to try to mm -hmm. trick her. And uh, which I didn't put in the synopsis because I can't put everything in the synopsis. And uh, although I tried, and she is riding the burrow when she finds George and Angela, who of course have, have teamed up. So they uh, they've been playing around with spears, and uh, Angela actually throws one at her, which she catches mm -hmm. in midair. Which I thought was actually rewatching that. That's actually a pretty. It looked like Kathy Lee Crosby caught that thing. I mean, I don't know who if somebody might have threw it from like you know, three feet off camera, but right. she did catch it. And when she did, she kind of reared back like she was really struggling. So I thought that was actually, yeah, it's, they didn't reverse the film. It was mm -hmm. an actual, actual effect that she caught it rather than it starts in her hand and they pull it out. Right. Right. So it, 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 it worked. It, it worked pretty well. But then, 
then they get into the fight scene, which I think you're gonna. <laughs> you've got probably got some comments oh, on that. Oh, my my own comment. I turned to my wife and said, "This is who knew a cat fight could be so boring." <laughs> Like, I'm about to hit you. Don't move. Oh, I will repose. Oh, I have blocked it. Well, and I'm sorry, but the whole thing, when you're going to hold a spear, they're like, oh my gosh, we can't actually grip it because we might hurt our manicures. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what the crap? I'm sorry, yeah. but no. If these were actually people that were fighting, there would be no fancy manicures. You would grip it and then beat the sh- Stuffing out of the purse. Yeah, they they were more like let's just smack our spears together until you know one of us decides to break the other one. It's, I mean, it's they're like, yeah. oh, I'm going to hold it like a little V, and you know, didn't want to hit my manicure. Don't you know? And the whole point of it, I don't, I don't get that. They have no choice but to fight. Right? Why? <laughs> Tell me something. Are they right. rivals? Was Angel supposed to be the one that came to man's world? Right. Give me something. Right. I know. right. I mean, she hadn't really done anything illegal yet other than hang out with two criminals, but she hadn't, I don't think she'd murdered anybody. She hadn't done anything that, that Diana would have to bring her in for or fight her about. There's a, you know, when they're fighting after Diana beats her, she says, you know, I owe you my life. And she says, well, that's a, that was in our childhood. And so apparently at some point Diana saved her life and Angela owed her anyway. So, I mean, the, the way to throw in a backstory out of nowhere, I mean, you know, it's like, and, and it didn't even really matter. No, I, I mean, and, and the whole point is George had a gun. Shoot her! Well, he did shoot at her, but then I can't, but she he, knocked it at, Angela knocked it out of his hand. Mm-hmm. Shoot the <laughs> yeah, shoot, shoot Wonder Woman. Yeah, I I know. I know. Don't get it. I know. How bad is his aim? Uh, speaking of aim, I did notice when when Diana threw that spear back, Wonder Woman, she kind of put it across her chest as she threw it, which I thought was kind of a neat move because it made you think of the real Amazons who removed a breast right. to be able to fire their bow. I don't. I probably that wasn't intentional, but it made me think of it. So. Points to them for getting something right that they probably didn't even try. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Accidental getting a historic fact in there. Right. Uh, Anita Ford, man, she she's only she's not in this movie much, which is like the whole thing. It's like, why did they even put her in? But, man, she chews up the scenery as Angela. She's, she's very over the top. She's very lusty for material things. And, you know, if they had ever done a series that she probably – would have been, you know, they would have probably brought her back because they telegraphed that. And, you know, actually, I wouldn't have minded have seeing, seeing more of her. If they had integrated her into the plot, if they'd showed her in, in Smith's car early on, you know, talking to her, and that's where he got the intelligence on Wonder Woman. That's how he knew what she would do and what she wouldn't do. That that would have made her part work and make, fill in some of these plot holes. But as it stands, she just kind of shows up because he contacted her on the island, which I'm not exactly, again, not exactly sure how. But uh, Craigslist, I'm Craigslist. telling you. You know, why didn't they cast her as Wonder Woman? <laughs> she, she's brunette and she's built nice and, you know, so I mean, why, you know, but I guess. Maybe because she took a 30 second pause between every other word. Well, maybe. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, yeah, it could be. 
But just as far as looks go, she looked more like Wonder Woman than Kathy Lee Crosby did. Again. She, she had a little bit of crazy face going on, but other than that, you know. So we finally get to see Ricardo Montalban. And as usual, he's very charming and engaging. And, you know, he kind of helps save the movie just by showing up on camera finally at the end of the movie. I mean, it's like, oh, well. No, no. The well, movie did not. Well, but I mean, he helps it. It's like, okay, well, it can't well, be. Well, you can say helps, but you cannot say save. Okay. It, okay. He helps it. It's not a complete okay. loss because you can watch Ricardo Montalban be charming for the okay. rest of the next 15 minutes. Okay. You can say that. <laughs> <laughs> and and she, he asks her how she keeps darting around and getting in front of them, arriving at places before they do. And she says, you know, she mentioned she has her invisible plane, which... You know, they don't, that's, again, it's, it's like way to throw a Wonder Woman element in there without, you know, giving us any real reason to that. They don't, of course, I know they can't show it, it's invisible, but we don't get any actual, we don't see her flying, we don't, you know, it's just mentioned. It's like, really? It, it, <laughs> that That's the only time it was even, I wouldn't, I would not have even thought of it if he didn't bring it up. Exactly. So if you don't have that line in there, it's not necessary to even mention. Right. So, yeah. I don't get it. You almost unless, wonder. If, unless DC said, you must mention these things in order to use the name Wonder Woman. I was getting ready to say the exact same thing, unless there was a list from DC. I was going to say exact same thing. <laughs> That's weird. We came to the same conclusion at the same time. That, that you know, it's like, okay, you got to mention the island. You got to mention the Amazons. Got to have a policy. Got to have the invisible plane. You got to have bracelets. And they're like, okay, we'll work this in. You know, and it's, they worked it in in a very, you know, nonchalant manner. Oh yeah, she's got a plane that's invisible. What? Yes, she's got a plane. That's, we got to the damn comic people said we got to put it in. <laughs> of course, you know, Linda Carter's invisible plane, as realized on the TV show, not the best effect. But oh, uh, come on. <laughs> I, I think I had a red version of that that I filled with water and then pumped with air and shot it yeah, down the, the yard. The com- the comic action uh, one, is that what you're talking about? The Mego? Yeah. The three and three, four? Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, we've got one in the case over here behind us. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it, it, but, you know, the, the I think the comic action one looked better than the one they used on the TV show. <laughs> You mean the one with the Barbie doll inside it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the Barris Batmobile, it ain't. You know, that's <laughs> just saying. So now she has an explosive bracelet because she, of course, it's all off camera, but she apparently put it on the helicopter <laughs> and it blew up while, you know, she was in the other room. Uh, but what don't these things do? I mean, you know, she's got a bracelet for every occasion. Which they actually showed earlier in the movie. When she opened her suitcase, she had like uh, two sticks in there with a bunch of bracelets on them. Well, you're right. You're right. When they showed her belt, and, and then she was sitting there on the phone playing with her belt, which we get to that later. But, yeah, that's that's right. They did show it. So I give them credit for that. They did. They played fair with that. You're right. Uh, of course, that's a departure from the comics, but what isn't in this movie? Yeah, right? yeah really. <laughs> Uh, like I said, Smith makes sure that the you know the the borough is going to a family with children and. Oh, can I say something? Yeah, you can about say whatever you want, honey. <laughs> when it showed up at the office with Steve Trevor, and he's like, "What is it?" And I'm like, "It's because you're in." It shows the borough, and I'm like, "It's because he's telling you you're a jackass." <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm sorry, that's immediately what I thought. You really did think that. You didn't think you had the actual part of the plot, did you? you no, it was I thought like it was a, a joke. It's kind of like an F you thing. Yeah, I'm kind of like, because you're a jackass. Here's a jackass for you. <laughs> See, well, I, it's kind of like when when George was going down with it in the the elevator. It's like, oh look, there's a jackass on the elevator, and he has a burrow with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the only reason I knew, and I can totally see what what you what you were thinking. The only I only remember three things from my 1980s viewing of this: Kathy Lee Crosby in the costume. Ricardo Montalban in that burrow. <laughs> the burrow in the ghost town. That's all I remember. It's like, this is different. Why is there a donkey? You know, the donkey? Why is there a donkey in this movie? <laughs> Central to the plot of this movie. Of course, while we were watching that, I kept having to make, you know, Shrek, you know, donkey joke. I want to go get a parfait. Parfaits are delicious. Parfaits got legs, you know. <laughs> that would have been fun if he talked, but, you know. Uh, so... <laughs> uh, so the sound effect of George, you know, George shoots the double mint twins, and when he does it, it's way off, and it's like it, you hear the silence or pew pew, and then then he makes the face of I just shot you. That kind of holds his lip a certain way. It's like oh man, that. But I have a problem with this. Okay. They know they get the, they it is telegraphed what he's going to do. He's yeah. going to double cross them. Why are you doing this? They're assassins. There's two of them. They have guns, too. Right. Shoot him. <laughs> Why is he just standing there? Why does anybody trust this guy? You know, it's like... I'm like... Why does anyone assassin. shoot anyone on camera? <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. You never do see anything like that. It's all off camera. So, Diana, you know, she's behind another glass wall, and uh, she pulls out the, uh, the grappling... Uh, the rope from her belt, which I guess is as close as you get to the magic lasso in this, and then she hooks her bracelet on to make a, a grappling hook. Did this remind anybody else of the Toy Biz Batman movie figure? <laughs> you know, from the first Batman. Oh movie. yes, okay. <laughs> you remember you uh. pull you pull it out and you hook it on something and you just to pull him up. You know that little. You, you pull the belt out. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's like well, the let's whole... clarify, please. This is a family show. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, oh, yeah. You pull the belt. It's the front of the belt. You pull it out, the belt, and it's got a rope on it, and that's the hook, and then he climbs, you know, he recoils yes, up yeah. the rope. Yeah. I had I had one of those, actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've got, I, I did too, yeah. So, um, I think there's still one standing there in the other room, but, uh, uh, so George, of course, double crosses Smith. He, but, uh, you know, Smith just knew that there'd be the tear gas bombs in the bag because he's just that damn good. So he smacks it and it sprays George in the face. And then George falls into the river and drowns because he can't swim, which is... I wish somebody had shot that guy. That was... Definitely <laughs> more satisfying. It'd been off camera, of course, though, so yeah. maybe not. I don't know about you guys, but the sight of Ricardo Montalban in his perfect white... Like you said, almost Mr. Rourke-like suit, rowing down the river in the small inflatable raft is just is just really something. I mean, it's just like, that's not something you're going to see every day. <laughs> it's like, and it was actually him, too. That's, yeah. the, that's the amazing thing. It was Ricardo Montalban actually rowing this raft. And that just amazes me. Obviously, he needed the money. 
Right. Seven that, years. No, there's no other explanation for him <laughs> doing anything like that in this film. Right, right. <laughs> Seven years earlier, they couldn't get him to like, okay, I need you to pick up a pipe and swing it at Kirk's stomach. I cannot do that. I cannot do that. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, we'll get the stunt guys in here. You know, it's like he couldn't be bothered to. <laughs> I'm sure it was a second unit thing. But again, the fight scene in, in Space Seed, not Ricardo Montalban. Him in the Colorado River or whatever he's in. I don't know what river that is. But he's in the river and he's, you know, he's in a raft and he's actually rowing. It's him. And they pan away where you can tell there's not anybody like right on top of him. I mean, I'm sure there's somebody there if something happened to him. But they're not really super close. And he's in this, you know, stunt shot, but not in just a fight scene for, you know, one of the most famous Star Trek episodes of all time. But, oh, that's okay. Yeah. We're talking about the Wonder Woman, but we're not talking about Space Seed. Quit digressing. You don't hold a grudge or anything, do you? No, I don't. It just it takes me out of it. The episode's so important, and it's just a... Chris, <laughs> Wonder Woman movie. All right, sorry, sorry. Uh, of course, there's a motorcycle in Abner's office, because it wouldn't be a 70s... TV movie if a Star Spangled character didn't ride a motorcycle. <laughs> and I'm surprised she didn't run into Red Brown on the highway. You know? <laughs> Speaking of which, this would be a great term to talk about that. Well, know? we'll talk about that later. Okay. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. We'll, we'll put a, I'll, I'll, I'll say the line you hate, put a pin in it and come back to it. <laughs> 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 Reminds her of the guy from Bolt every time. So, you know, I know he plays fair, but, you know, when, when Diana comes up out of the water and says, you almost got away with it, Abner, he's not the least bit upset that he's going to be captured and sent to a federal pound me in the rear prison. You know, it's just... Chris! <laughs> <laughs> God! I just... <laughs> oh, Christopher D. I said rear. <laughs> it's office space, you know? The federal pound me in the... Yeah, okay. But it was... <laughs> oh, Christopher! <laughs> this episode has taken a very strange turn. It, it, it has, yes. Sorry. Uh, but yeah, he's not the least bit upset. And in fact, you know, when they're putting him in the car, he actually says, Wonder Woman, I love you. <laughs> I just... <laughs> and he let her wear his coat because yeah. he was wet. Yeah, he put he she was wet and she's wearing his coat because he's just got the white shirt and the vest on and the white tie, and, you know. So, but but how cool would the ending have been if when he said that she just kind of like tilted her head and hmm, and then karate chopped all the cops right there, hopped in the car, <laughs> hopped in the car with Abner. You know they could keep the books because he's a man of his word and she is too. She's a woman of her word. They take off with the money, and you never see him again. You know, she well, had guess to what? We never saw him though. again anyway. Right? That's right. I mean, the thing is, though, that he would he would have to change his name. I just can't. A little little Abner keeps keeping little it. Abner. Yeah, I just keep thinking, you know, a little overalls, you know, kind of Elvis hair. Yeah. you know. She can ask him to the Sadie Hawkins dance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know. So after saving the agents and ensuring national security, Diana goes back to Steve's uh, office where she is his secretary again, even though he knows she's Wonder Woman. So, and they have a little, you know, little fun little comment that you always get at the end of any 70s show. And 
and then you're back to the god awful 70s Wawa music, and and that's the end. <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> Thankfully. Uh-huh. <laughs> this show actually, this movie actually does have you know a pretty decent pedigree. I mean, the the executive producer, the writer, the guy that developed it for television, John D. F. Black, he was an associate producer on Star Trek during the first season of the original series. He even wrote the classic episode, The Naked Time, and its Next Generation remake, The Naked Now. And he contributed the screenplay to the original Shaft. Shut your mouth. Uh, but, but, you know, I don't know what went wrong here, but this isn't obviously his... This was an acid day. This was an acid day. Maybe. Uh, the director, Vincent McEvity... He directed several Star Trek classic uh, TOS episodes, including Balance of Terror and Spectre of the Gun, which is a personal favorite of mine. Even though it's third season, that's good third season, Star Trek. He also held episodes about every TV show. If you look it up on IMDb, you can, I mean, for our buddy Andy Leyland, if you're listening, he directed an Airwolf. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so there you go. Uh, every, any show from the 60s to the 80s, he probably directed an episode and even directed Disney films like Herbie goes to Monte Carlo and the Apple Dumpling Gang rides again. So there you go. Huh. Maybe use the same burrow. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but that music, uh, Artie Butler is the the, the music uh, the the composer on this. the The music within the movie was fine. I didn't. Nothing jumped out at me as horrible. It was typical seventies, you know, cop show action show stuff. But yeah, that theme is just. Oh, yeah, honey, I disagree. What? The whole music that they're playing when they're on Paradise Island. Mm. I'm like, what the crap? Is this a bad porno? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a much more interesting movie. <laughs> oh, sorry. I about put your earphones out. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. Are you okay? Yeah. Oh, no. sorry. Uh, that would have been a much more interesting movie. But, <laughs> uh, well, it wasn't... It didn't, I guess because the theme was so just bad, the rest of it yeah. didn't seem as bad. Yeah, the, the stuff in the middle, it reminded me a lot of the Spider-Man yeah. 70s TV show. Not You, you just know, made have, my point. <laughs> <laughs> didn't have quite you the so, No, 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 you just so just made my point. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it didn't, it, it, the, the Spider-Man, the, of course we've, you know, Cindy and I and Andy Leyland talked about the Spider-Man pilot. And, uh, yeah, I asked Cindy actually last night after we watched this, okay, what was, what was worse, this or the Spider-Man pilot? And what did you say? I'm sorry, but I can hang with this, the Wonder Woman, a little bit easier than I can the Spider-Man. Oh. <laughs> I, I will say this, and I'll ask, get your feedback too, Gene. But I will say that this, I think... Even though there's plot holes like crazy, I think this is a better made movie. It's like tighter editing, and it just seems like there was a little more money spent on it, a little uh-huh. more care put into it. There's a lot of slapdash stuff in that Spider-Man pilot movie. Yeah, the Spider-Man, well, like I said in my email to you guys, right. you had this whole flashback sequence in the middle of the movie to remind you of what you just saw. Right. So, Obviously, there was something wrong there. You know, right. they, were, they were padding it out for some weird reason. And then, you know, just some of the repeated effects of the climbing on where he's obviously on a 
flat surface when he should be on a, a ridged side of a building. Right. So, yeah, I, I think, like I said, if, if you remove the Wonder Woman name yeah. off of this movie, this would be a 70s spy movie. Right. right. And it, it, I can slot it right into that kind of genre, no problem at all. It's when you put Wonder Woman on it and make her a pseudo-Amazon, although I did... I did like the fact that the bracelets they wear are actually manacles. Yeah. yeah as they, opposed to real bracelets. They they have a hinge and they clamp on. But just the the Wonder Woman name on this makes it makes no sense. Right. No. You know, and it's it's kind of it's kinda of interesting though, because you know, she keeps taking the bracelet off in the comic books. If Wonder Woman takes her bracelets off at, at this time in the Bronze Age, she goes back crap, right? And starts like tearing stuff up or something. It's like it's some leftover subjugation thing, which, uh, you know, they wrote into the character, which is weird. But, yeah, it does look like, like you said, like it's um, instead of just like, well, let, let's face it, Linda Carter's in the first season especially looked plastic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as much as I love her costume, those look pretty chintzy up close. They look like they come out of the Rimco utility belt set, you know. <laughs> yeah, but they were, they were betting that no one was looking at her wrists. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody did until she put him up in front of her chest to do the, you know, the cross. <laughs> okay, and one was just... for you, one for G. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's Linda Carter. You don't know that Linda Carter and Yvonne Craig. I don't get hit over. That's that's all, <laughs> that's, that, that, that's all there is. Speaking of Linda Carter, rumor has it that well, it's not a rumor. I guess she's confirmed it. She actually auditioned for this movie. Oh my! As Wonder Woman. And they passed her over. <laughs> How crazy were they? Uh, no. they? Apparently they weren't because then they realized, wow, we can do this a lot better with someone a lot better. <laughs> That's right. But, you know, I mean, Kathy Lee Crosby, you know, she was a professional tennis player before she got into acting and entertainment full time. At one time she was, this is all from IMDb, of course. She was ranked number seven in singles and number four in doubles in the U.S., so she was actually, you know, pretty, pretty good tennis player. She's been a children's ambassador for the U.N., and she started and contributed to a lot of charities. Uh, like I said, she was on That's Incredible. I, I actually, you know, I don't think she's bad in the role as it's written, but she just, it's, she just doesn't, you know, as the classic Wonder Woman or even the the Diana, you know, the Emma Peel, Diana Rigg type Wonder Woman of that time, or slightly before this, she just doesn't fit the role, you know. I mean, she's very athletic, you know, obviously she pulls that part off, but it just, you know, she, she comes across as very sincere with it, so I can't, I don't feel like she phoned the role she in. Kinda, what was that show, Heart to Heart? Mm, you remember um, Stephanie Powers? Yes, it's kind of like you know they were spies, and it kind of you know mm -hmm. kind of that take on well, it. Wasn't Stephanie Powers the girl from Uncle before Heart to Heart? Am I nuts? There was a girl from Uncle show I know, and I'm thinking that was her, but I could I be wrong. Know. But uh, I have no idea. I th I've never really seen it, but I just know that. But it's but yeah, I mean it's I, I felt like she you know with what she had to work with and the way that they wrote her character. I thought she did a pretty, you know, good job. Like you said, if she hadn't been Wonder Woman, you know, this, you know, most TV shows, the pilot's not, is, is hardly ever the best episode. 
Right. Uh, you know, I think if this hadn't been Wonder Woman and they called it anything else, like you said, Miss America or Lady Liberty or something. Or well, even if they hadn't gone on the whole costume. Patriotic thing, yeah. yeah. If they hadn't gone on the whole costumed tangent, I think this would have been okay for that time period. Right, right. And I mean, you know, it's in, you know, just that she had the gadget bracelets and things, you know, I think it would have worked. But she... As far as that role, I thought she was pretty competent, you know, playing that part. I mean, I didn't roll my eyes at anything she did or anything, but... Uh, yeah, uh, she wasn't bad. She did a, a decent job with what she was given to work with, and yeah. it was just the script fell down on it. Yeah, yeah. The uh, guy playing Steve Trevor, you know, he actually seemed... I hate to say this as much as I like Lyle Wagner. He seemed more... They wrote him as a more competent person than than Steve was portrayed on the classic Wonder Woman series because they kind of picked up, you know, Steve Trevor was the male Lois Lane of the time, you know, as, as the Lois Lane that evolved into the character that constantly needed to be saved. Uh, you know, not the original version of Lois or the version that we got from like post-crisis on, but he was the, you know, the damsel in distress in reverse. Uh-huh. And so right. Wonder Woman usually had to pull his butt out of the fire. And, you know, he's got kind of a, you know, he obviously had a comic flair uh, 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 while Wagner did. So he came across as kind of a, a handsome but lovable goofball almost to a point. Not quite a goofball, but this guy seems a little more hard-nosed and, and a little bit more believable in the role of like a director of a, of a organization. I mean, I, you don't get a lot out of him, but I didn't like totally just like, well, there's no way that guy'd be doing that. You know, I, I thought he sold what he had to do pretty well. Uh, even though he did, I thought it was kind of, it seemed silly that he, like we said, he, he had a secretary that was his best agent, but he, he still treated her like a secretary for no good reason. <laughs> I can yeah, I can understand him treating her like a secretary when people are around, but if you, he knows that she's this super, competent agent don't ask her to get you coffee when you're alone right get your damn self exactly (laughs) right right um we already talked enough about andrew prine and george i think and anita ford uh the the character of dia that you know that comes and tells wonder woman about angela uh she was played by beverly gill uh I, i wonder if she was maybe a nod to to nubia but she had just appeared in the comics after the switch back to the classic Wonder Woman. So I don't know if it was just, you know, that if, if she wasn't, then she was probably the first uh, black actress cast, uh, you know, a, a black Amazon scene, uh, you know, or, you know, well, I guess this came after that comic, but if they didn't have her to go by, then the producers just must have went, well, we're just going to, you know, diversify the, the island a little bit, which is if they did good for them, you know. I don't right. know. I'd like to have seen her do more. She seemed like, you know, a character they could have done something with. I mean, I know this was short, but like I said, just having her show up to just give her a message was kind of just a waste of uh, potential character there. But I like that they already had enough characters shoved in this thing. Um, you know, like I said, uh, overall, in my opinion, it's not a bad little TV film. It's it's not great by any means, but like it's it's fairly well made. You know, there there are plot holes that are just you just, Mac truck size? You just can't get around them. I mean, just, <laughs> you can fly the invisible plane through them. I mean, they're just, you know, it, 
you have to wonder some and some of the dialogue makes you wonder if the borough didn't do an uncredited rewrite. Oh. I mean it's just, it's there's a couple of spots like we mentioned that 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 dialogue just is just is just uh wow. But uh yeah, uh, you know, I think we've I think we I, I mean you guys got any other thoughts on it? I think we pretty much mm. Beat this, the beat this burrow to death. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Not that we want to beat any burrows to death. I'm just saying. We, no, we, want, we want to make sure it has, it has children that can ride on it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> because Admiral Smith would want it that way. <laughs> and why wouldn't he have a better name than that? <laughs> Well, he can't help what he was born with, okay? He could, I guess he could have changed it legally. But. But, but my point is, you can tell he's foreign. Abner Smith is an American name, and why the hell would he pick that? My guess is they had that name in the script, and they looked into getting Ricardo Montalban and didn't change the name. That'd be my guess. Ah, But oh. I don't know. Uh, either of you guys ever seen the Wonder Woman pilot that existed before this? No. The, uh, that is a, it was done in the sixties by the same people that did the Batman show. Uh, William Dozier was the producer. He was a narrator. Uh, it had a, um, a comedian as, uh, Wonder Woman, Diana Prince. Her mother kept screeching at her. Uh, she was a very mousy looking, uh, person. She probably wasn't incredibly unattractive, but the way they had her made up, she was unattractive. She kind of looked like a cross between Ruth Buzzy and uh, Amy Farrah Fowler from The Big Bang Theory. Mine Bialik wow. is Amy Farrah Fowler. <laughs> and she was in a Wonder Woman costume, but when she looked in the mirror, she saw the classic-looking Wonder Woman, and it was played by Linda Harrison, who played Nova in the Planet of the Apes movie. Huh. Uh, this is a few years before that. Uh, this was like, it's a short, I think you can find it on YouTube, it's like a short presentation thing for the networks, kind of like that Batgirl pilot they did, uh, just to introduce Batgirl. And uh, there's no, it's no wonder it didn't get picked up. I have no idea where they would have gone with the fact that, you know, she apparently did have her superpowers, but she just looked like a wreck, basically, <laughs> until she looked in the mirror, and then she looked like what you'd think Wonder Woman would look like. So if people had problems with Batman 66, spoofing on the character they would have had an aneurysm over this if it <laughs> so probably good thing so that makes this thing look downright you know prestigious by comparison wow but uh according to the age of tv heroes by jason hoffius and george curry which i recommend that's uh published by tomorrow's great book uh the ratings on this kathy lee crosby film were strong enough to interest ABC and more Wonder Woman, but thankfully they chose to go another route with another production company, and that's how you got your classic Linda Carter Wonder Woman. So, it all turned out right in the end. (laughs) 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 Uh, So, any final closing thoughts? Have we... We already said that, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think, yeah, I, I think this is pretty much done for, for this movie. It wasn't... It wasn't a horrible experience watching it, Mm-mm. but I think the DVD is going to stay in the case for a while. I think you're right. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think this is probably one of those that it's going to sit with the uh, the actual Legends of the Superhero specials, although this is better made than those. You've got the novelty of having Adam West, Burt Ward, and Frank Gorshin, but beyond, and seeing the other superheroes in decent costumes, but beyond that, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, I made Cindy. Well, I haven't made Cindy watch those, but you've watched those before. No, honey, you made. Did I make you watch them? And those were the bootlegs I had. Because you were mean. That's another Warner Archives. (laughs) You can get. You're a mean, mean man. (laughs) It's abuse. (laughs) It's abuse. Well, Gene, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you at? All right. Well, the uh, the primary place you can find me is at thehammerstrikes.com, which is my blog. I post general geeky thoughts once every Thursday, and that has been going on for quite a while now. I don't I don't even remember when I started that, but once I got into the I'm doing this every Thursday, I except for New Year's, I haven't missed a week yet. So cool. that's going pretty strong. Then if you want to hear my dulcet tones, you can go over to uh, twotruefreaks.com, where I have a number of shows, as Chris mentioned. I have the Hammer Podcasts, which is the the version of the Hammer Strikes only in audio form, and that is a monthly show where it's, again, it's random. And under that is my sub-show called Legends of the Superheroes, which, uh, shall we plug it in right here, Chris? Yes. Uh- well... Don't go right ahead. <laughs> well, uh, what I do on that is much like this: is I go back and look at live action versions of superheroes or actually comic book characters, and I do that with some of your favorite podcasters. And one of those who has volunteered to co-host with me is on the call right now. Uh, Chris will be joining me next time for the Reb Brown Captain America movies. Yes, so we're gonna so we're gonna make good on that team up with Wonder Woman and <laughs> Captain America on, the, on their motorcycles. Yes, so we're gonna so, the talk that, about it is our friend Rob Kelly called the side of beef known as Red <laughs> Brown. <laughs> yes, it'll it'll be an interesting uh, viewing, I think. There and that we'll be doing that, and that should be coming out. I would think the a couple weeks after you people hear this. Right. So uh, it won't be too much in the future for you. But that is under the Hammer Podcast at Two True Freaks, also on iTunes. And I also co-host Anime Freaks with Dr. Bill Robinson. And at the moment, we are on the tail end of the first season of Star Blazers, which is one of my favorite anime shows growing up. And after we're done with that, we're going to do the movie Akira. Mm. And beyond that, we don't know what the future holds, but Tune in and give us some suggestions. We're always open to that. Battle of the Planets. <laughs> uh, I will override you and say Gotchamon. Gotchamon. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not going to deal with another annoying robot. <laughs> you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. It, I just really liked that show when I was a kid. So I, I know it's the bastardized version of Gotchamon. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and the the last show I do is... The Quantum Cast, where my good friend Jeff Fishman and I talk about Marvel's D-list superhero Quasar, or as, as Jeff calls him, the Kevin Bacon of the Marvel Universe. <laughs> Kevin, that's good. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah, you've got definitely got. Uh, that there's a reason that on several shows you're called Gene the Machine uh, <laughs> the, in, in the uh, in the little yeah. text underneath. So. Uh, so definitely check those shows out. They're great. Uh, you can't go wrong with the Two True Freaks Network, and and Gene's a big part of that. So definitely check those out. And uh, Gene, I want to thank you for stopping by. Me and Cindy really enjoyed talking to you about this and and uh, riffing on this this film. And 
I look forward to talking to you about the uh, Captain America movies. I couldn't let get Cindy to do it with me, but uh, no. But I'll come over and play. <laughs> I, I think you've put the poor woman through enough, don't you? <laughs> I'm married to him. Come on. Jeez. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> so, in other words, you have no choice. That's uh, right. Right. <laughs> no, I'm saying I've already done my penance thing. Oh, because she married me. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Well, on, I love you. Yeah. Well, on that note, I think we'll <laughs> we'll call it a night. So thanks, Gene. Oh, thank you, guys. And we'll see you guys later. Bye. Bye. Oh, hello. We didn't see you there. Welcome to Comic Book Fight Club. My name is Jeff S. Fishman, Esquire, and I am Gene Theodore Hendricks. Here at Comic Book Fight Club, we sit fireside, sipping our brandy, and discussing who would win in a bout of fisticuffs with other members of the comic book Illuminati. Yes, you caught us at a good time as Kevin Smith, Stan Lee, and the late Bob Kane just went on a beer and nacho run. Have you ever wondered who would be victorious in a bout? Galactus? or Unicron? How about The Incredible Hulk versus The Monster Doomsday? What about G.I. Joe versus The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Or the equally important bout of The Snorks versus The Smurfs? And of course, the Titanic duel between Archie and Jimmy Olsen? And you can expect the intelligent and erudite debates to sound something like this. But I always thought Transformers fans were intelligent and literate, so they should see that Galactus has to be the winner. Like, he's hungry. Oh, I'm so <laughs> hungry. I'm going to get weaker, and, 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 and Reed Richards is going to be able to beat me. I don't know anything about Rob other than uh, he was defeated by Parker Brothers. Oh, it's, I mean, back, to, back to one of Sean's points, saying he got out of the, out of the Silac. You know, every time he's gotten out of that in any story, he has to get put back in it because he's a bitch. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh, ah, 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 no! 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 She, oh, I tap she, out! I tap out! You are a sick, out. sick man. Jeremy. I'm not familiar with the last one. I need. I might have to hit Google Image Search here. So won't you join us for some witty discourse, a fine snuff, and a tincture of sherry as we debate over these all-important matters here only on Comic Book Fight Club. You can find the show at twotruefreaks.com and on iTunes by searching for Comic Book Fight Club. Please also join us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash comicbookfightclub. Hey guys, Chris here. You just heard a trailer for Gene's newest show, Comic Book Fight Club. He and Jeff Fishman host this as part of their Quantum Cast show, so check it out. I'm going to. It sounds like a lot of fun. Also, I'd like to recommend another new podcast, Flowers and Fishnets. This is a spinoff of the blog by the same name, which covers the entire history of Black Canary. Ryan Daly has really done a great job with the show right off the bat, and I think you'll really enjoy it. Uh, Ryan was actually kind enough to ask me to join him on episode number seven, where we discuss the mind-blowing true origin of Black Canary from Justice League of America number 219 and 220. If you, like me, question whether or not the Crisis on Infinite Earths was necessary, 
this episode may just change your mind. Check the show out on iTunes or go to blackcanaryfan.blogspot.com. I now return you to our usual legal mumbo-jumbo, a bad closing theme song, and the worst bit of dialogue from this Wonder Woman movie. Warning, it may induce vomiting and or diarrhea. Supermates is a Franklin and Franklin production in association with Bugaloo Enterprises Worldwide. The fictional characters and events mentioned in this show are trademark and copyright their respective owners. Likewise, all audio clips are copyright their owners, and we mean no infringement by either. Thank you for listening to Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast. So totally captivating. Let me make love to you. Why? Because your eyes reach into you my... You misunderstood me. I didn't mean why should you want to. I meant why should I. Don't you find me attractive? Appealing? Yes. But there are quite a few attractive and appealing men in this world. I don't care about the others. Oh, George... You don't. You're fast. I like you. Thank you. Now, if you'll excuse me. There's no reason to run away. Oh, I know that, George. Good night.